Would you please remain standing with me for the reading of God's Word today? And today we'll be in the New Testament book of Luke. And I'll be reading chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke chapter 17. And again, I'll be reading verses 11 through 19. God's Word says this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I'd uh, like to begin today's sermon by asking you a question, and the question is this, when's the last time you experienced some trouble? When's the last time you experienced some trouble? Car trouble, health trouble, phone trouble, financial trouble, spiritual trouble, maybe you got in trouble, maybe someone is giving you some trouble. My guess is that while we'd all probably respond to that question by sharing different experiences, we would, though, all have a recent story to tell about a run-in with trouble. That's got to be one of the reasons there's no shortages of songs about trouble. Don't look it up now if you can't come up with it, but if you have a favorite band or musical artist, chances are they've written a song about trouble. Coldplay, the Allman Brothers... Pink, Louis Armstrong, including probably the greatest living musical artist today, Taylor Swift. (laughs) Just giving my daughter Ava and some of you fellow Swifties some affirmation as you debate with your friends about that. But whether the trouble is brought about on by others or by oneself, all of these many different musical artists and many more besides them have correctly identified the reality that trouble is something that's common to us all. The Old Testament book of Job actually puts it this way, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. In other words, as surely as you can guarantee that the next time you start a fire, you'll have sparks flying upward, so too can you guarantee that every person who's ever been born will experience some trouble. But back to those different bands and artists, I don't know if one particular song about trouble comes to your mind, but one that comes to mind was made popular by the great jazz musician Louis Armstrong. It was actually an African-American spiritual song that was sung during our nation's sad years of slavery, but it was popularized by Armstrong, and it goes like this. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. 
Now, that's just the first verse, and that might be the first time you've heard it, but in hearing it, doesn't it make you stop and ask, why in the face of trouble would one add the words glory, hallelujah? Why glory and praise God, which is what that word hallelujah means? Why glory and praise God in a song about trouble? Well, if you know the song, then you know the answer is found in the next verse, which goes on to say, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. The reason this song includes glory, hallelujah, in the face of trouble and sorrow is the same reason why one of the lepers from our reading here in Luke 17 returned to Jesus to give God glory and praise. And that reason is this, that while trouble in all its different shapes and sizes is something that's common to us all, the good news of the gospel is that God has intervened in the person of Jesus to save us from the greatest kind of trouble there is. Let me say that again. The good news of the gospel is that God has intervened in the person of Jesus to save us from the greatest kind of trouble there is. And because he has, those who trust in him can face the rest of life's troubles with the certainty of knowing that their Savior with his wonderful mercy and his limitless ability is with them. Glory. Hallelujah. But there's a good chance that with all the trouble around us, maybe you've lost sight of that gospel reality. Maybe that bright truth has grown a little dim And because it has, you find yourself here this morning feeling anxious or frustrated or absolutely at a loss when it comes to dealing with the troubles in your life. If that's you, you're not alone. And my prayer is that you'll welcome the Spirit of God to speak to you in such a way this morning that you'll leave here praising God and giving Jesus much thanks even in the midst of your troubles. And so to that end, I'd like us to follow a simple three-point outline today that we find supported by today's passage. And the first point is this, don't lose sight of what Jesus can do for you. The second point is don't lose sight of what Jesus has done for you. And the third point is this, don't lose sight of what Jesus can do for others. Don't lose sight of what Jesus can do for you. Don't lose sight of what Jesus has done for you. And don't lose sight of what Jesus can do for others. So first, as you encounter life's troubles, don't lose sight of what Jesus can do for you. Now, I'm guessing most of us here today have been around the Bible long enough to know that the kind of trouble faced by the ten guys we read about in today's passage was one of the worst kinds of trouble you could imagine. But because we live in an age where medical advancements are what they are, such that we don't really hear about, let alone see anyone with leprosy, we need to spend a few minutes imagining what it was like so that we can feel the weight of what these lepers felt then, and therefore why Luke thought it important to record this story for us here in his gospel account. And we can get a better idea of what leprosy looked like back then by listening to some of God's laws that he gave his people for dealing with it. In Leviticus 13, for example, it's one of those passages of Scripture that you only turn to when you're forced to. 
But it's there we discover that leprosy was a swelling or blotching of the skin that sometimes covered the entire body from head to toe. The skin would turn white, and sometimes so would the hair by the infected area. Leviticus 13.45 says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Other sources tell us that, quote, among the 61 defilements of ancient Jewish laws, leprosy was second only to a dead body in seriousness. A leper wasn't allowed to come within six feet of any other human, including his own family. The disease was considered so revolting that the leper wasn't permitted to come within 150 feet of anyone when the wind was blowing, end quote. Added to those brief descriptions... Pastor theologian Mike Bullmore helps us better understand the helplessness of lepers with his telling of a fictional firsthand account of a leper. Mike's story that I want to share with us goes like this. One year during harvest, my grip on the scythe seemed weak. The tips of my fingers numb, first one finger, then another, and within a short time, I could grip the tool but barely feel it. Then, or by the end of the season, I could feel nothing at all. The hand grasping the handle might as well have belonged to someone else. The feeling was gone. I said nothing to my wife, but I know she suspected it. How could she not? I carried my hand against my body like a wounded bird. One afternoon, I plunged my hand into a basin of water, intending to wash my face. The water reddened. My finger was bleeding and bleeding freely. I didn't even know I was wounded. How did I cut myself? On a knife? Did my hand slide across the sharp edge of some metal? It must have, but I didn't feel anything. It's on your clothes, too, my wife said softly. She was behind me. Before turning to her, I looked down at the crimson spots on my robe. For the longest time, I stood over the basin looking at my hands, and somehow... Somehow I knew my life was being altered. Shall I go with you to tell the priest, she asked. No, I sighed, I'll go alone. I turned and looked into her moist eyes. Standing next to her was our three-year-old daughter. Squatting, I gazed into her face, stroked her cheeks, saying nothing. What could I say? I stood again, looking at my wife. She touched my shoulder, and with my good hand, I touched hers. It would be our final touch. The priest didn't touch me. He looked at my hand, now wrapped in a rag. He looked at my face, now shadowed in sorrow. I never faulted him for what he said. He was only doing his job as he was instructed to do. He covered his mouth and extended his hand, a palm forward. You are unclean, he told me. And with one pronouncement, I lost my family, my farm, my future, my friends. My wife met me at the city gates with a sack of clothing, some bread, and some coins. She didn't speak, and by now my friends had gathered, and what I saw in their eyes was a precursor to what I've seen in every eye since. Fearful pity. As I stepped out, they stepped back. 
Their horror of my disease was greater than their concern for my heart. And so they and everyone else I have seen since stepped back. Well, I share that to try to help us understand at least a little bit better the kind of trouble faced by these 10 lepers we read about here in Luke chapter 17. But having done that, I want us to now turn our attention to the amazing, life-changing experience that was brought about by Jesus. Luke tells us in verse 12 that he was met by them, and knowing what we now know about it, we understand why these lepers stood at a distance and also why they cried for mercy. And even though most of us here today already know the answer, I still want us to consider why these guys thought that Jesus not a doctor, but a carpenter, not from any place of significance, but from Nazareth, might possibly be not only willing to help them, but able to as well. Well, the answer is, just like today, news traveled back then too. And in the previous chapters of Luke's gospel account, he told us that the news about Jesus and the peace that he's come to bring has been traveling through the land. In chapter 5, for instance, we're told that Jesus healed a paralytic. And according to Luke 5, 26, amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Then in chapter 7, we're told that Jesus found himself in the midst of a funeral procession. The only son of a widow had died, and Luke tells us that Jesus had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bears stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Then in chapter 13, Luke tells us that Jesus healed a woman who had been crippled for 18 years. So, like I said, news about Jesus, one who was not only compassionately willing to help but able to as well, news about him had spread and had reached these 10 helpless lepers. And as soon as Jesus had entered their village, they, quote, lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And there in verse 14, Luke tells us that, look there if you would with me, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine what that life-changing experience would have been like? Not only seeing it happen to yourself, but seeing it happen to the nine others around you. White, swollen, disease-ridden skin turning to normal after who knows how many years. White hair returning to its natural color, numbness giving way to feeling, and appendages lost, suddenly restored. What had been impossible with man had become amazingly possible with Jesus. 
And friends, that's worth remembering as we face the many different troubles of our lives. Though the trouble you're facing may be humanly impossible, there is someone who's actually able to help you. And not losing sight of that is one of the things I think the Spirit was leading Luke to communicate to us this morning. And while I think that's fairly obvious from just our passage here today, I want us also to consider the larger context around our passage because I think it too goes to support this hope-filled perspective. So if you look back up to the beginning of chapter 17, there in verses 1 to 4, we can see there that Jesus is talking about temptations to sin that are sure to come. He's also talking about giving warnings to those who cause them to come and the fact that we're going to be sinned against. As we continue reading verses 5 and 6, we see that they're talking about the reality that sometimes we're going to sense a real weakness in our faith. And lastly, there in verses 7 to 10, those verses are talking about the fact that sometimes in our Christian experience, We're going to feel like we're not getting what we deserve from the Lord as we serve him faithfully. And it's on the heels of all those various troubles that Luke includes this story of the healing of ten lepers. I believe it's placed here to help us so that when we find ourselves facing the many different troubles of our lives, we wouldn't give up, but rather we'd remember what Jesus can do for those who come to him for help. But there's more to this passage than just the physical healing that Jesus brought about because in verse 15, Luke tells us something interesting. And that's that after being told by Jesus to go show themselves to the priest so that he could declare them clean, one of the 12 lepers returned to Jesus. And the exchange that took place between the two of them reveals the sobering reality that there's something more troubling to the human experience than even a diagnosis of leprosy. As we hear Jesus say to him in verse 19, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. And that's a little puzzling if you're following along closely this morning because Luke's already told us that this man has been healed just a couple of verses before. So the question is, what's going on here with this second announcement of healing? Well, this is where it helps to remember what Luke's purpose was in writing his gospel account. And way back in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, We discover what that was, so turn back there with me if you would. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, let me read that for us so that we can all be reminded of what was in Luke's mind as he wrote his gospel account. Luke 1, 1 to 4 says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Well, there's another question there, and the question is this. What were those things that were taught to Theophilus? 
And by the way, you dads here who may be looking to uh, fill in your dad joke quota, Theophilus is just some low-hanging fruit. It is the awfulest name there is. So take that one and do what you want with it. Theophilus, here he is. Well, I'm wondering, though, about what Theophilus uh, was taught. And we can learn about what he was taught actually in part two of Luke's gospel account, which is the book of Acts. And we learned there that it was Jesus' ministry and teaching that was taught to him. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the first, again, this is Luke. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have written or I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And what's evident from all of the gospel accounts is that Jesus' ministry and teaching was not only demonstrated in the physical healing he brought, but also, and more importantly, it was demonstrated in the spiritual healing he brought. And I say more importantly because as desperate a condition as leprosy was to the physical body, the disease of sin is actually far worse as its decaying and deadening symptoms affect us not only now, but on into eternity. That's one of the reasons why God talks about sin the way he does. Listen to what he says about it in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Did you catch that phrase, death spread? Kind of like a disease. And sin, like leprosy, results in separation. As soon as sin entered the scene of humanity, separation occurred. Separation in relationships, first between Adam and Eve, then between Cain and Abel, all the way to the strained and broken relationships we experience today. But ultimately, and far more catastrophically, sin brought a separation between us and God. Listen to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Scripture continues its serious tone towards sin in Romans 5, 18 and 19, which says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And that act of obedience was Jesus' willingness to come from heaven to earth in order to save us from our sins by taking them upon himself and bearing their consequences on the cross. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This same chapter, chapter 2, 
continues in verses 14 and 15. Therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That slavery is the disease of sin. And unless Jesus came to set us free, we'd be facing the wages of sin, which is far worse than even the effects of leprosy because Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is both a physical and a spiritual death. And we know that this is what was on Luke's mind here in chapter 17 because please note the phrase Luke used to begin this section about the ten lepers there in verse 11. That phrase, on the way to Jerusalem. And why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Well, earlier on in Luke's account, back in chapter 9, 51, he said, When the days drew near for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And when Luke said to be taken up, he meant taken up on the cross. So we could actually read the first part of verse 11 this way, on his way to the cross. And why was Jesus going to the cross? So that he could save us from the most troubling of all human experiences, our sins and their consequences. And one of the ten lepers realized that. That's why he returned to Jesus. He had heard and believed the reports about Jesus' ministry and teaching. That's what made the difference between him and the other nine lepers. He saw in Jesus someone who was more important than the priest in the temple Jesus had told him go, to go and see. He saw in Jesus someone who was worthy of worship. This is not a lesson on merely being thankful. It's a lesson on seeing Jesus rightly. Seeing him as God in the flesh, sent to earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And those who see him rightly put their faith in him and themselves at his feet, glorifying God and giving him thanks. Those of you who have followed Jesus for some time know the answer to this question, but does following Jesus mean we don't bump into troubles anymore? It definitely doesn't mean that. Troubles still come their way. Don't forget the context of the story. There's still temptation to sin. There's feeling weak in one's faith. There's struggling with what we get or don't get from the Lord. But because Jesus offers forgiveness of sin, because Jesus tells us it's not about the strength of our faith but the object of it, and because he endured what he didn't deserve for us, because of Jesus, we can have a new perspective as we face the troubles of life, knowing that the one who can do the impossible, the one who has done the impossible for us, is with us and for us. Have you come to believe this about Jesus? Have you put your faith in him for the cleansing of your sins, to heal you from something far worse than the kind of 
physical healing of something like leprosy. If you haven't, please do it today. Please do it now. If you have, then you too have experienced a miraculous healing that's far greater than even the physical healing of leprosy. You too have experienced the power and mercy of Jesus to do for you what you could never do for yourself. So while it's important not to lose sight of what Jesus can do for you, it's maybe even more important in our bouts with trouble to remember what Jesus has already done for you. It won't make all your troubles magically vanish, at least not yet anyways. That day is coming for God's people, but it will give you the hope you need in the midst of them that the one who can help you is actually with you and he is for you why at times our able and merciful savior doesn't take away our trouble is a question only he knows the answer to but the fact that he came to save us from life's greatest of troubles at the cost of his own life at least tells us that it's not because he doesn't care about us nor that he doesn't know what it's like to suffer unjustly. So as we think about what's all, what does all of this mean for us, I'd like to share a prayer with you that models what I think the Spirit is saying to us as we encounter all the lesser but nonetheless very real troubles of life. The prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus, I'm facing trouble, and I'm at a loss of what to do. But still, I thank you because you've already saved me from the greatest trouble imaginable in saving me from my sins and their consequences. And so I know that because I'm united to you by faith that I'm not facing this one alone. Your mercy tells me you care about me, and your power tells me you're able to help me. So while I wait to see what you will do, give me the grace to be confident in your ability and content in your activity that you will bring about my good and your glory. Amen. I think that's what the Spirit was meaning to communicate to us as he led Luke to write this passage in his gospel account. But I also think it's a word of hope that we're not meant to keep to ourselves. And that's my last point today, point number three. Don't lose sight of what Jesus can do for others. Don't lose sight of what Jesus can do for others. The fact that Jesus healed all 10 men of their leprosy tells us that no one's too far gone for our Savior's care. So keep bringing those that are lost to him in prayer. The fact that Jesus healed all 10 men without charging them or making them promise to first do something for him tells us something more of our Savior's heart for the lost. I don't think Jesus' question there in verse 17, were not ten cleansed, where are the nine? I don't think that's meant to make anybody feel guilty for not being as thankful as they should be. But I think in keeping with the mercy he so freely gives, his question is more likely out of other concerns he had for them. And those concerns were personal for Jesus because as the one who through all things come about, it's true that all creation, including these nine individuals, 
owe their thanks to him. But not only that, it's personal for Jesus because the spiritual healing we all stand in need of can only come through him. As Scripture says, there is no other name than Jesus under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so to turn one's back on Jesus is to turn one's back on salvation. And that's what was at the heart of Jesus' question. Now, we can't know for sure if the other nine did ever come to discover what the one did, that there's more to life than just having our physical needs met, as important as those may be. And that Jesus was the way to God, and in coming to him, we can receive our spiritual healing. We don't know what happened to them. The story doesn't tell us, but we do know that Jesus cared enough about them that he met their physical needs. And his questioning into their whereabouts, I think, reveals a concerned Savior who came to save the lost. And if that's how Jesus saw them, then shouldn't our concern for the spiritually lost around us model that of our Savior's? May we see the lost around us at work, in our neighborhoods, in our families like Jesus did. As people in need of both physical and spiritual help, and may we continue to live out our faith by doing what we're doing again here this morning, praising God and falling at the feet of Jesus with hearts full of thanksgiving. Five points. Don't discount this weekly gathering. It can be a very powerful demonstration to the lost around us of the reality that there is more to life than just the here and now. Well, let me close by offering what I think is the key to not losing sight of Jesus. What he can do for us, what he has done for us, and what he can do for others. The key to not losing sight of Jesus in the midst of life's troubles is remembering just how far your sin had separated you from God and how far your Savior came to save you. The key to not losing sight of Jesus is remembering just how far your sin had once separated you from God and how far your Savior came to save you. This point is emphasized for us at the end of verse 16 with Luke's additional note there about the one leper who returned. Now, he was a Samaritan. That's not meant as a dismissive comment on the Samaritan as if he didn't count. It's actually meant to help us to know that in addition to being a leper, he was also a foreigner in the land of Israel, which according to a Jew would put him as far away from God as one could possibly get. But the greater one's desperation, the greater one's rejoicing when God brings salvation. And so I think it's safe to say that this leper's whole outlook on life was changed from that moment on. Again, that's not to say he never faced troubles again, but that the internal healing that took place that day empowered him with a hope he had never experienced before for now his faith had united him to Jesus. 
a Savior who is not only able but also willing to pour out mercy for our greatest needs, even as he's on the road to suffer and die for us. A Savior who's willing to pour out his mercy not only on the grateful, but also on those who take his mercy and never so much as look back. Those who have come to Jesus recognizing that he is our only way to healing from sin and and right standing before God. We have a Savior who will shepherd us safely through all of life's troubles until we're safely home with him. And so if you've come to put your trust in Jesus, then you have a Savior who's more concerned that you know his heart for you than he is about the amount of faith you have in him or the amount of things you can do for him. He's a Savior who's willing to trade places with you, taking upon himself the disease of your sin, along with its shame and separation, and giving you his clean bill of health, the very righteousness of God. So I don't know what kind of trouble you're currently facing or what kind of trouble is around the corner, but I do know this. When we remember that we have in Jesus what we have in Jesus, we can face even the worst of circumstances and still have reason to worship the Lord because just like this leper, we too have been saved by Jesus from the greatest kind of trouble there is. Glory, hallelujah. Let's pray. So Lord God, we praise you for the salvation that you have provided for us in Jesus. We've gathered again here today to worship at his feet and to bring with us the offering of our praise. And as we've heard from you today, we respond now by asking that you, by your spirit, would help us to not lose sight of Jesus. Thank you for the faith that you've given us that unites us to him so that wherever we go and whatever we face, we do not go there without him and his all-sufficient mercy and all-powerful ability. Lord, for those here today who still might be lost in their sins, may they hear and respond to your voice that says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, we ask that you would do for them what you and your grace have done for so many people like us. And it's in the name of Jesus. And for his sake, we pray these things. Amen.